and Rick. We're here. We're live on the internet on YouTube. Welcome back. We get to see your beautiful flowers. Well, thank you for the welcome back. And before we went live, I was just commenting that technically we've done this show, but we had some uh, internet uh, issues. And therefore, on a Mercury retrograde, we're doing what we should be doing on every Mercury retrograde. And that's redoing something we've already done. That's right. So we are honoring the Mercury retrograde in the highest fashion right now. And we're doing it very Cancerian. We both work from home. We do. And of course, we have that Mercury retrograde also conjunct my moon in Cancer. And uh, I think on your nodal axis. Yeah. So we're, we're live and in the seat and people are showing up in the chat and they're, they're glad that you're back too. So yeah welcome welcome all right guys before we get in here and start talking about our topic for today i hope you guys are doing well out there and thank you for your time and your attention hopefully we give you something today that is absolutely worth it the solstice gifts are out you can click in the description box underneath this video take advantage of that and all week long there are eat and greets as well we'll start with rick then actually um Elizabeth Grace, Alejo will be here, Tony Howard's coming, um, Colin Bedell will be here as well. So we've got lots of good stuff coming, lots of learning. In your Mercury retrograde, go back and watch anything that you have missed because it's all been really good. Well, really that, good. that sounds like a party of some of my favorite people. Right. I know. It's like a really good time on the internet. I'm like, we're together apart. <laughs> yep, yep. For sure. So how, Rick, we were talking before about how you're doing. How, how are you doing? How, the well, world is crazy a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, as I was saying to you before we started, um, personally, I think I'm doing okay. And I say I think because if you're paying attention, how can you be doing okay in this time here in, on planet Earth? Um, I think of Ram Dass who, said, who used to say, um, you know, how can you be sane in an insane world? And, um, and, and yet we have this extreme polarity going on of what appears to be um, what I would like to call a pause in the disaster. And at the same time, the disaster is more obvious than ever. I mean, you talk about retrogrades, if retrogrades reconnect us with the past, um, you know, I mean, what we're doing is maybe replaying, at least in the United States, at least a few hundred years, at least a few hundred years of history. Um, and, you know, I'm someone, I, I mean, you know me a bit. I'm, I, I know more than the average guy when it comes to the details of history. I mean, I'm a, I've been a history buff for most of my life. Sure. And I pride myself in, in, in knowing how we got here, wherever we are, whenever we are here. And, um, and I thought I had a pretty good understanding and compared to most people, I did, but I didn't have a goddamn clue. You know, I mean, I did, but, but, and I, and, and, and actually this is even true for some of my um, friends and associates who are of color, who also, this has been like another layer of peeling off the onion that they already thought they knew about. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and I, I mean, I, as I was saying, it's like, um, it, it's like on one level, I'm okay. And I'm impressed with how many people are actually keeping their minds and hearts open to revisioning everything that they thought they knew um, as we deal with something that I've never seen before. I mean, certainly 
Um, I mean, I lived through the 60s, um, and I remember um, the um, Uranus-Pluto conjunction with the Saturn opposing Pluto at that time, um, and not only the Vietnam War, but also the Civil Rights Act of, you know, 1964. And I certainly, um, you know, have, have been a part of um, that whole process of, of, of awakening as a, you know, as I guess I would say as a privileged white person. Um, but I have to admit that my, my understanding of how systemic everything still is just was pretty, it was obvious to me. I lived in LA during the Rodney King. That was, you know, the last time Saturn was in Aquarius. Uh, I, I mean, it's not like I'm unaware but I'm, I'm, I'm spending much of my time every day just trying to relearn what I thought I already knew. And I'm, hope, I'm hoping that many other people are too, and I see that they are. But on the other hand, you know, when you look out there, you know, um, you know where, where, what's the technical word? <laughs> you know, it's, yes. it's, there's no simple solution to this awakening is certainly a part of a process and i'd like to say and i've heard this from a lot of friends and associates this is so amazing the planet's waking up everyone this is a big change and i agree with all that as potential but that's not everyone because a lot of people when the people are saying well everyone's getting new information and they're being confronted by yeah well what happens to a lot of people like someone in therapy as i know you understand you know if someone in therapy is confronted with stuff that is threatening to their ego they do this thing that freud called resistance that's not conscious and you just bury your head deeper in the sand and a lot of that is going on too now we'll see how naked the emperor looks when everyone realizes that the new suit of clothing is not real. And, and so I have my hopes up and at the same time, we'll see, I'm not cynical, but um, you know, it's, it, someone said um, I was on an interview yesterday and the, and the interviewer was pressing me. So what's going to happen? Is this mm -hmm. going to turn out good or, you know, or not? And my answer was anyone who predicts that they know doesn't know. Absolutely. Because, because we're in a time of, uh, that I, uh, that's almost similar to quantum indeterminacy. Um, there are probabilities we can look at, but the universe is plastic. And when I mean plastic, when I say plastic, I don't mean it's artificial. I mean, it's moldable. And right now it's almost like we're sharing a, um, a, a collective dream space where anything in a dream that you think is real, there is no true versus false. It's just what's happening. And so right now, that's kind of what's happening. And how we individually and collectively dream this, that's what will happen. And I might be able to speak for myself. I might even be able to speak for some people who I'm close to, but I can't speak for everyone. And, I'd and I don't know what everyone would say if they are speaking, because I know that there are a lot of people out there from my perspective, who hold frightening views. And I would say one more thing about this, I mean, I'm really talking about the Saturn-Pluto-Jupiter conjunction without, you know, without saying it. Sure. So this is an astrological piece, you know, because as we know, the last time that, I mean, Saturn returns, um, how do I want to say this? Saturn returns to, to the sign of Capricorn, you know, roughly every 30 years, every 29 and a half years. 
But the last time Saturn returned to Capricorn, its own home basic first ruling sign, or, or, or domicile, I should say, with it being the ruling planet, um, it does that every 30 years. But the last time Saturn returned to Capricorn and conjoined Pluto in Capricorn was 1518. Within two months of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the wall of the church, which began what we call the Protestant Reformation, but we don't really think about what that really was. What it really was, was the Protestant, Protestant, it was the Protestant Reformation. And what it reformed was, and it, what it protested against, was the absolute authority of Rome. That was the, and, and I'm not saying what happened since with the Protestant culture taking over was necessarily po positive, but what's going on now is, is an event that is as powerful as that moment in time, because what we're beginning is another Protestant reformation, not in the religious sphere, but in a much deeper sphere that I believe, without taking anything away from Black Lives Matter, um, without taking anything away from that at all, this goes deeper than that, because I think that this is also about um, uh, gender issues. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, there's a racial piece to this, but that racial piece, I think, is part of a symptom of a aberrated patriarchy. And I think what we're really seeing here is the disintegration or the plutonic deconstruction of not only, or I should say potential um, deconstruction, um, of not only a systemically racist, um, and I wouldn't say just the United States, I would say world. You know, xenophobia is, how do we say this? Oh, so 20th century. You know, it's like we live on a little dot and for us to name every illness about some other culture that's far away that we want to throw, you know, nasties at, just, is, it's over, it's done. It's, it's dinosaurs. And the fall of that systemic institution, which is not only what built the United States into a power, but built the entire Western civilization. And so from that standpoint, this goes deeper than that, because I believe it's also the disintegration or deconstruction of the patriarchy itself. And that was probably more than you bargained for when you asked me how I'm doing. But it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, these are, these are intense times. They are intense times. And it's kind of neat, though, because I think one of the strengths that I continue to recognize about Jupiter in Capricorn in general is the... Um, the need for new training. And that is one of the things we're seeing called for in many different areas. Right? I personally own one of those in my chart. I have a Jupiter in Capricorn and it's part of my logic when I'm doing an anti-planetary dignity uh, rap, which I don't always do because I believe there's certainly validity to that. I love my Jupiter in Capricorn yeah. because, it, because it not only forces me to constantly expand by relearning the basics, um, but it also keeps me attuned to a little bit of a reality check so that my enthusiasm is not misdirected. Yeah, I think it's, I, you know, I too know it's dignities, debilities, all that good stuff, but there's value in all of the placements. And this is definitely one that I think we're seeing in the world right now. And I do think as we step forward, even into the Aquarian energies, we will see the value of what was potentially working 
as well. Some oh, things yeah. so you don't have to burn the whole hut down, you know, just a little well, grass we may, fire. We, it, 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 it may happen. You know, remember when, when Uranus is involved and even though Uranus isn't, hasn't been an active player on people's minds right now, just because of the Capricorn cluster, the Capricorn, you know, um, cluster um, of not only uh, the every 33 to 38 year Saturn, uh, Saturn Pluto conjunction, but with Jupiter in the mix, which makes that much more rare. And then with the nodal axis in the mix, which even increases its rareness. But then we look at this year and not only is it been the, um, you know, the Saturn Pluto conjunction, which is not over, even though we think of it in our minds, it's over. It's still close enough to be in operation for a good year until Saturn moves into Aquarius. And then by mid 2021, you know, we can then say that the Saturn-Pluto effect has begun to wane, but it's replaced by the Saturn square Uranus. Yes. That's going to be the next wave of energy. So Uranus is a key player here. Um, But, you know, into this mix right now, um, we have this eclipse that we just experienced, um, which is also an incredibly rare eclipse because of the Earth's alignment um, with the galactic um, center um, and with um, the eclipse occurring on the north point on the um, you know on on the tropic or on the um, uh, ingress into into uh, cancer in the northern hemisphere the summer solstice but the other piece about this um, eclipse that we're experiencing is that this eclipse also has very powerful irritating energy and that is that that the obvious thing about this eclipse, and I say obvious because there's another thing I think that's more powerful that's not obvious, but the obvious thing about this eclipse is that this eclipse is partile. And for those of you who are not uh, deep into astrology, when you're talking about Ptolemaic aspects and they are at the same degree number, that's considered a partile aspect. It's within a degree, but it's within this, it's at the same number. So we have Saturn, which moved into Aquarius, turned retrograde, heading back toward Capricorn on July 1st. But that, but that Saturn right now um, is at zero degrees of Aquarius. And this eclipse was at zero degrees of Cancer. Mm-hmm. So it was a partile quincunx. And although you and I and everyone we know says quincunx, it's actually, and I do too, it's not a quincunx, it's a quincunx because it's Latin for five twelfths. And a quincunx was one of two aspects that Ptolemy called inconjuncts that were just basically irritations because the two planets were on the same page, but they couldn't see each other. Exactly. And so right now we have this hypersensitized Mercury retrograde in Cancer with this zero degrees solstice um, eclipse that's not about what happened a couple of days ago. That eclipse has been in play for probably six months or so and will be in play at least until the next eclipse run in six months. And so it's not just about what happened yesterday or the day before, but the exact quincunx between this hypersensitized Cancerian energy and Saturn representing the status quo, representing the structure. And of course, it's 
it's even though it's into Aquarius, we're getting glimpses of what's possible. It's still going back to Capricorn and it needs to finish its stuff. And of course, we're moving towards not only a once in 20 year Jupiter Saturn conjunction, which we know is always important on a much more frequent basis every 20 years. Jupiter and Saturn conjoins, but this is a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that is the grand mutation that changes elements. So we have what's really a an astrological perfect storm. Stormy, brilliant. I'm just trying to keep it keep it lively, right? <laughs> yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant time. And we were talking about when we were looking at that particular eclipse, looking back. 19 years in the cycle as well when we, you know, we experience 9-11 and this time having it be more along the line of truth bombs, information bombs, things like that that are really being dropped. And a lot of that is falling at the time where you said like, we don't know. And we don't know that we don't know, but we think that we know. And and of course um, that you brought up 9-11, that fall was the last um, full alignment of Saturn, Pluto and the earth, because now we have Saturn and Pluto lined up on the same side of the earth, meaning that it looks like it's a conjunction, sure. but a nine, but in the fall of 2001, we had the earth exactly in the middle of Saturn and Pluto. So it was a Saturn Pluto opposition. Yeah. And again, um, you know, a, what happened there? Anyone who thinks they know, doesn't know, including me, um, B the fear that followed that created this whole fearful, position that we're in right now because another side piece of the Saturn Pluto conjunction opposition cycle is not about um, systemic and or um, current racism going back again to 1519 which was the beginning of the Portuguese Caribbean slave trade you know in the early 16th century in the 1500s but on top of that the Saturn Pluto conjunction opposition cycle also hits the British abolition of slavery throughout, and in, 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 uh, I think that was in 1834, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the uh, Civil Rights Amendment of 1964 was the Saturn-Pluto opposition. Um, and, um, and so we're seeing this ongoing racist, colonial, religious strife. Saturn-Pluto conjunctions are oppositions where when, when Mohammed declared Mecca the state of Islam. It was the Moorish invasion of Spain. It was seven centuries later when Spain kicked the Moors out. It was uh, um, the the largest crusades began on Saturn-Pluto conjunctions or oppositions, including the Children's Crusade where 50,000 French kids were killed, Mm. you know. Um, the first crusade was in, I think it was 1099. I don't, my dates might be off here. That was, you know, when, when the Christians basically went to recapture Jerusalem from the Muslims. Um, and so again, we have this Christian Muslim, the whole Christian or the whole um, Muslim Jewish thing, you know, the uh, founding of the World Zionist um, organization in 1898 was a Saturn Pluto opposition, Um, the creation of Israel and the disappearance, so to speak, not really, of Palestine in 1946-47, Saturn Pluto conjunction, the British Empire granting India freedom. You know, we in the United States, we learned what a wonderful thing that was and how powerful Mahatma Gandhi was and Martin Luther King taking that whole idea of peaceful resistance of of Gandhi and how great it was that he brought down the whole British Empire. But somehow they forgot to tell us that a half a million people were killed in the ensuing years between 
on battles between the Hindus and the Muslims over Kashmir. So again, we see this ongoing struggle as boundaries are encroached upon, whether they're physical um, national boundaries, whether they're religious boundaries, whether they're scientific boundaries. I mean, you look at uh, the Saturn-Pluto and also in the relationship to um, Giordano, Giordano Bruno being the last person burned at the stake for his belief that there were many suns and, you know, and how could Jesus have been on all the planets going around all the different suns at the same time? Bam. You know, we have all these scientific, Gal the Galilean stuff, all this stuff is, is, is also part of this. And then we have another way of infringing our boundaries, and that is with microbial attackers. And you can't build a wall between the United States and Mexico and keep out these damn microbes that keep attacking the stability, the Saturnness of our boundaries. Mm -hmm. And you look at that conjunction in 1518, and that was the year of the European dancing plague. People were just going out into public and dancing until they died. Now they think it was some sort of fungus or ergot like LSD or something that was just, and, but people died of this plague. And then you look at a century before at 1457 to 1453 and you have the Black Death, you know, and right in the middle of it, 1450 was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And you look at the Spanish flu of 1918, well, the truth is that that actually began in 1914 as did World War I. And what else happened in 1914? There was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And then the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 1982 was the, you know, tied to the HIV um, uh, explosion. And so, but these are all about boundaries, bumping up against things and infringing on, on other boundaries and us having to readapt re and readapt again. So we are in the midst of it. There's no question about it. And anyone who's alive right now is lucky even though you might not think of uh, think of being lucky on the day that you wake up and you've lost someone dear to to the to this uh, pandemic, or that your job or your finances you know have been destroyed or whatever, I'm not saying it's pretty, but right. we are lucky because this is a time of incredible change, and it's a time when every single person's influence is going to mix into the collective. And what will happen in the future is based upon the sum total of all the individuals who choose to show up or stick their head further in the sand and go into denial. And I've been saying for years, my closing line in most of my lectures and teachings is think cosmically, act locally. And all I can say is more than ever, think even more cosmically than you've ever thought but act more locally than you've ever acted because that's where the action occurs. Yeah. I'm done, I'm done again. <laughs> done some more still. That was so good though. I just sit here and drink it all in, but it's absolutely beautiful to see how the patterns work when we trace them backwards and then we can think cosmically to think forward. We're in the midst of great change. It's not, this is not surprising. It's not new information. We didn't just arrive here on accident. So what do we do? That's the brilliance, I think, of patterning that astrology offers. We can see the pattern and get involved in making the progress, the very Aquarian progress. Well, and I, and, and I have a formula for what we could be doing. I don't like to say should. I think of, again, Ram Das, who used to say I've been should upon long yeah, enough. Don't should on me. <laughs> don't should on me. Um, but I, but I, I, I think that there's a place 
for many different levels of action. Whether you're, I mean, I've been on fire on all of this stuff. I write a daily blog. You know, I've written a daily horoscope column for nearly 20 years that at its height had 10 to 20 million readers a day. It was on Huffington Post, LA Times, Yahoo.com, Tarot.com, blah, 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 blah. Um, but these days, I'm not writing for each of the 12 signs. I'm simply writing what I call a daily planet pulse. It's like a little blog, but it's short. And, um, and it's on Instagram. You can find it at, um, at Rick Levine Astrologer on, on Instagram, just Rick Levine Astrologer all mushed together. But I think that some of us can communicate, that we can, we can write, we can have interviews and talk, we can keep these things in, a, in awareness, keep these things so they don't slip into denial. Um, others of us hit the streets and do what needs to be done, and that's confront the power and show the expression of what is possible. Other people can be um, working from the inside out, which I know sometimes can be tricky because people look at those people sometimes and go, that's not the way to solve anything. But it's all part of the process, whether you're a policeman or whether you're an elected official in government, we also need the AOCs of the world that are, that are stirring the shit up from the inside so that what's on the outside and on the inside meet. But whatever it is that you do, um, whatever level you choose to interact at, the most important thing on this is taking this as an opportunity to practice open mind, open heart, and compassion. Because no one knows what's truly going on, whatever they know and whatever they think is going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I believe that this is also a, a confluence of a number of different perfect mm, conspiracy theory storms also coming from a number of different directions. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole um, because it's an alienating thing because what happens is the larger picture is a breakdown, Pluto, a disintegration, Pluto, of Saturn's boundary. And Saturn's boundary is ultimately a boundary between here and there, between male and female, between me and you, the ego, the, 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 the illusion of, of any polarity, of black and white, either being as a, you know, as a general concept or as a racial concept, um, between male and female, between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, between red states and blue states, between, I mean, you can make the divisions however you want, between 5G and anti-5G, between this virus was a man-made, you, know, um, you know, part of a larger um, thing to be able to create martial law and take our guns away, to no, this is just a natural virus and we need to put people in ventilators. I'm avoiding taking sides, although it might be obvious what side I fall on some of these issues. The problem is that whatever issue it is you're talking about, the person you're talking to might agree with you 100% on one or two of those issues and disagree with you 100% on another couple. And so the whole binary thing has fallen the fuck apart. It doesn't work. And that, and that even goes down to the, to the issues of, of, of <clears throat> what just happened. Remember, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction opposition cycle is also tied to governmental civil rights. And, and we just had the Supreme Court um, uh, update 
the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include, um, you know, transgendered and 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 sex, whatever sexual orientation you might be, it included the the wording to include that, which is part of this whole picture of boundaries breaking down. Even the boundary between gender, male, female, is just not what Saturn used to keep it be, you know, keep it as. Saturn was great at keeping things with boundaries between them. Saturn's been dethroned. I mean, I'm not saying I don't respect Saturn in a chart and how it sure. works, but largely Saturn has Saturn is no longer the king of the limitations between here and there because Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto have you know conspired. There's that conspiracy word. Um, they've breathed together, which is all that conspire means. Con like you know with like conjunction and spire like to aspire you know to perspire. It's breathing. So a conspiracy is just a group of people breathing together. The United States, <clears throat> for, those of, for those out there who say, oh, the rioting, looting is terrible. And don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging it. But <clears throat> the United States was founded by a bunch of conspiracists who destroyed the property of the government that owned the country. Mm-hmm. Go fish. Uh-huh. It's like, we've been here before, what next, right? I think it's interesting when we think about everything that's happening right now, I am interested to see how all of the conspiracy of the planets comes together when we look through 2021, because I feel like the event happens and we have to feel the wave and kind of look around and go, what the heck is going on? But then we get to some real action. What's the real fallout? What's the real moldability of what we've got available to us? And I keep coming back to that Saturn and Uranus square that we're going to, because I'm just like, oh man, I mean, I really feel like this is a space of of multiple things. But number one of them, I keep thinking is, okay, friends, let's, let's be clear as we can as to what we're fighting for because what we're fighting for may be what we end up fighting against if we're not paying attention you know what i mean but at the same time it's tense that's a tense aspect but it does say something's wrong let's take a different action we need to take a different action here and intuition with uranian involvement is and flexibility is paramount. It's going to yeah. be paramount through 2021. The level I, of flexibility of air. Yeah. We're going to need that. And I'm a high air chart. So I'm like, well, yes. it's, it's the level of flexibility of air against the stubbornness of, um, your, you know, Uranus sure. doesn't like being in. I mean, I get that the outer planets don't have, you know, traditional debilities, but Uranus sucks at being in Taurus yeah. because Taurus wants to maintain the status quo, its comfort. Taurus doesn't want to change, but when it changes, it changes. Dang it, it changes, doesn't it? It is like waking up a mountain. That's what I tell my students. I'm like, (laughs) that is like waking up a mountain. And by the time Moana is on that mountain, we're going to really do something. So Stormy, what's what's, what's your ethnic heritage? what's, What's your family story? Oh, yeah. So my mom's people are German, blonde hair, blue eyed folk. And the rest of my people come from Creole slash Native American-esque. Got it. Sure, Got it. Yeah, but a lot of lot of Southern Creole folk too. Are so you're a, per, you're a perfect mutt. Yeah, perfect. it's brilliant. 
<laughs> Absolutely, Brian. I know, and it's funny because my brothers speak beautiful German, and I'm the only one of us who speaks Spanish. I'm like, I'm getting off all of these comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is another thing, though, about Uranus in general, is Uranus, which to me is the quantum planet, because it's it's unexpected. You know, Uranus is the is the planet that somehow takes the the reality of Newtonian physics, Saturn, you know, the billiard ball mechanics of how the universe works by cause and effect. And Uranus goes, you know, it doesn't follow those laws. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and in a way, the par Uranus is paradoxical in many ways. But one of the paradoxes of Uranus is that you have the awareness that we're all one, that these boundaries are artificial. That's what Uranus does. Uranus takes tension that can't be resolved, and with one strike of lightning, it, it basically it wipes it away clean. And so on one hand, Uranus is taking away the boundaries between whatever the ethnicities, whatever the racial, whatever the nationalities, whatever the belief structures are. Mm -hmm. What I've been telling people is, what can you do now? You can take the things that you think are the stupidest, the most outrageous. You can take the ideas that you would absolutely never believe and you could learn about them and why people are believing them. Why people, because, because it's, it's the bridges that we need to build at this point in time. But coming back to Uranus, what happens is that on one hand, culturally, civilization, because of electronic, digital, communication, whatever, we're seeing this breakdown or disintegration, deconstruction of nationalism, of borders. You know, borders are just, you go up into an airplane or into a satellite, uh, into the space lab, and there are no lines between the planets. They're, these are artificial constructs. Um, you know, even the racial black-white um, we know is an artificial construct. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it, it was made real for a purpose, you know, um, for a political purpose. But so on one hand, what's happening is that all binary extremes are being shattered, uh, uh, deconstructed. On the other hand, our reaction to that is to recreate that individuality with a heightened sense of urgency so that we have every little culture, language, village trying to reestablish itself and maintain its own historic heritage, etc. And both of these are happening opposite ends of the spectrum simultaneously. And that's what Saturn is going to come in and square that. And we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and it's just like gangbusters. I mean, if you think about it, so Saturn's over there being at home in Aquarian energy. Uranus rules Aquarian energy. And poor Taurus is just hanging out with her butt out. You know, it's kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's just like a, I'm not, a, a I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going near that line. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the greatest, the greatest gang up on poor, poor Tauran energy. But things are, change is coming. Well, it is. And yet right now from this eclipse, at least, and there's obviously a lot of other things at play. I mean, look, we're coming back to the second of three Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions, yes. you know, and at the first one, there was a flourishing of the virus um, or at least a, an apparent, I, everything has to be apparent because again, I don't think anyone knows what's going on. One of the um, things that's come out of this though also is that 
most people in the United States used to think that media was had an agenda, and therefore they would watch Fox News because all the other stations had an agenda, while everyone watching other stations said <clears throat> Fox News has an agenda. Well, it turns out we're all realizing that it doesn't matter what you watch, everything has an agenda. And, and, um, and although there's a lot of self-righteousness, which I'm happy to wear sometimes, sure. um, the fact of the matter is that, that if Uranus is going, if we're going to ease the resolution of these opposites, there's no simple solution, <clears throat> but part of the solution has to be expanding our minds to open it up so that those things which are most alien, disenfranchised, those things, those things that bother us the most, those things that we know the least about, that we're sure are the stupidest, and the things that have nothing to do with how things are, those are the things we need to learn about. Not that we need to accept everything carte blanche, but we need to expand our minds. Um, in a way, this is a psychedelic period, and I don't mean drugs, I mean psyche, the mind, delic, delia, expansion. This is a period for expanding our understanding of, of, of what's going on. But right now, the predominant thing that we're feeling is these planets in Cancer, including the Mercury retrograde, um, but um, uh, basically quincunxing, and this is in particular the eclipse to, to Saturn, and quincunxes are not well understood um, although people talk about them, a lot of people just call them inconjuncts, and an inconjunct is also a semi-sextile. A semi-sextile in Ptolemaic terms, um, a semi-sextile and a quinx are both inconjuncts. The inconjunct is irritating; it's annoying, and wow. and and in an ir irritation can, uh, or how you respond to an irritation um, can be very powerful because. Um, as you know, Jung said, you know, fate is what seems to occur when the psyche hasn't integrated whatever it is. Um, it's almost like you know, fate is what happens out there, and free will is how we respond to it. And granted, free will has its own limitations because we only can respond to things based upon our awareness and the choices that we have in our awareness, which is why it's so important for all of us to continue to increase our awareness because it gives us more choices um, how to respond. But the quincunx, um, unlike a square where two planets are in conflict, if you will, that's a direct, we, we can see the two planets um, because they're both in view, they're 90 degrees, and we have to make choices as to which way we go or how we're going to work out the energy and go in one way that uses both of them, even though they are conflictual energies. But it's like squares are the most creative and dynamic aspect. Um, you know, some of the ancient traditions call squares afflictions, but they, but those afflictions are the things that drive most creativity. They make Without you move. Squares, uh -huh. They make you move. Those are like they, the 911s because you don't want to be squished in that little box. For that's right. Long. Squares are unstable. Squares are inherently unstable. And if you don't believe me, take four toothpicks and glue them together until you have four toothpicks in a square and take any two sides of that, um, of that square and, um, and someone can basically move the rest of it. You can't mm -hmm. hold the whole thing together by squares. 
you have to triangulate or, or st put a stress. It's why when you build things that are 90 degrees, like in construction, you have slanted angles that, that, are, that basically absorb the stress of the 90 degree angle. So squares, although they get a bad rap, at least you can deal with them. Oppositions, same. They're, 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 they, they, we have to increase our awareness so we can see what's in front of us and what's behind us or what's to the sides. With a quincunx, it works like this. We're, we're going to do, do a one-minute experiential astrology exercise. Take your right hand. I'll do it with you so you don't feel totally stupid. And put it about eye level and make your elbow about 90 degrees. So it's out here somewhere. Now move it backward and forward, look straight ahead only, but there's a place at which you can't see it, where it goes away. Right. Now move it forward so you can just barely see it. Okay. Now wiggle your fingers and now move it backward and you can find a place where you can see something moving and something's wiggling, but you can't see what it is. Got it? All right, now imagine that there's a steel eye beam connecting your head and your wrist and you now want to see what the hell this is. This is what happens. Yes. And, you, and you try to make it go away. This is what happened. This is what happens when you try to make it go away. Yeah. It, you can't bring it into focus to deal with it and you can't get rid of it. It's like, have you ever been camping? Have you ever spent a night in a tent? Yes, I'm a camper. All right, so let me ask you this. What's worse than hearing, <laughs> than hearing a mosquito buzzing around just as you're ready to fall asleep. All of a sudden you hear this. Yes. What's worse than hearing that? Nothing. Yeah. Except for not being able to Wait, find no, it. no, no. Hearing it stop. <laughs> <laughs> because when it stops, what do you do? You do this, you know, yeah. because you know it's landed on you somewhere. And what happens after that happens a few times you get out of your sleeping bag. If it's cold, you, you, you swear a little bit. You turn on your lantern <laughs> or your flashlight and you go, all right, mosquito, it's either you or me and come on, I'm going to get you. Right. And you sit there for three or four minutes feeling like a total idiot and you, <laughs> then you think, well, it must have gotten out. It's nowhere to be seen. You get back into your sleeping bag and just as you're drifting off again, you hear that same sound. Quincunx. It's a quincunx. But... But the thing about quincunxes is that you get really good at getting in and out of your sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there is some benefit. So there is something that happens to, to, to quincunxes that can be beneficial, but, but we have to practice almost like an asana, the again and the again. It's, mm -hmm. like, it's like the thorn in the side that we need to meditate on and realize that we have this thorn in our side, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and so quincunxes, you can't get them right. But here's the magical thing about quincunxes, and this is also the magical thing about this recent eclipse. Um, and, I, and, and I'm going to kind of do this on a very simplistic level. Um, if you know, listeners want more information than this, I have... Um, uh, lectures and things around on the internet on it. But, you know, when we look at aspects like squares or trines or quincunxes, um, sextiles, we're basically dividing a circle by one, two, three, four, six, or 12, because those numbers go evenly into 12. And, and astrology is a 12-based system. Mm -hmm. So the Ptolemaic aspects are based upon 30, 60, 90, 120, and 150, and 180 degrees. 
it was the great mathematician and astrologer Johannes Kepler who introduced into astrology the half square, the semi-square, it's also an octile, one-eighth, and the sesquisquare, the square and a half, 135 degrees. And Kepler also introduced the quintile, which is like a five-pointed star, the 72 degrees, and then the, the biquintile, which are two points on a five-pointed star that are not next to each other, and that's 144 degrees. Now, Kepler broke through the 12-fold understanding, because even though he didn't use the same language as I'm going to use right now, Kepler contributed not only to astronomy and to optics, but Kepler also contributed to music theory. And the planets are not just lumps in space. They're also vibrations. Right. The moon is 13 vibrations a year, 13 cycles a year. Saturn is three vibrations a century, roughly. Pluto is like four vibrations every millennium, roughly. Um, the planets are very, 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 very low frequency music. You know, like if you play concert A, A above middle C, that's 440 cycles per second. We're talking about Pluto at four cycles or one cycle every 250, 240, you know, three years or so. So Kepler realized that aspects were actually like real music of the spheres. Um, not a metaphor, but real. And so in dividing the circle by five would come up with what he called, or what we now call the fifth harmonic. A square dividing the circle by four comes up with the fourth harmonic. But Kepler said, God doesn't use sevens, they're too complicated. <laughs> and every breakthrough great mind comes to some place that's an arbitrary self-imposed limitation. That was Kepler's, couldn't go there. With a computer, however, we know that one-seventh of a circle is 51.42587, whatever the number is. It, it, it's not even, it does, it's totally inconvenient, and no sane person would go looking for them manually. But the septiles, which are based upon one-seventh, two-sevenths, and three-sevenths of a circle, don't occur naturally in nature. There, Kepler was right. You know, the other numbers all occur naturally. Um, you know, you can find five-pointed, uh, like, borage or a rose. Um, you can find six-pointed lilies. You, but there's no seven-pointed starfish. <laughs> They're five-pointed. But seven is a human construct. We have seven colors in the rainbow. We have seven virtues, seven deadly sins. We have seven days of the week. We have seven visible planets. I mean, it's a number that we that we use. But, it, but sevens in astrology the septiles, the one-seventh, two-sevenths, and three-sevenths, the septile, biseptile, triseptile. I would no sooner do a natal chart of a client without quintiles and septiles than I would without squares or trines or mars. That's how important they are. But I've been looking at them for 40 years as an astrologer. So <clears throat> just a couple days then. 45 years, actually. Because when I learned astrology, I came into it through Dane Rudyard, who wrote about septiles and quintiles, and his student, Michael Meyer, in the Handbook for Humanistic Astrology, um, who also wrote about them. So I never knew that they were anything less than. Here's the thing. Septiles are otherworldly. They're, they're alienated. They're disenfranchised. They have a hard time expressing in three dimensions because they're complicated. When you see a chart with a lot of septiles in it, 
you know that that person, whether they admit it or not, or talk about it, because it's complicated, they talk to spirit guides, ancestors, aliens, ghosts, you know, disincarnate beings. There's that connection with other times, other places, other worlds. One of the most heavily subtitled charts that I've ever seen, um, although the rest of his chart certainly works, and I've seen it delineated by many astrologers, but they don't talk about his septiles, and that's David Bowie. He, he was an alien, you know? Pretty much. Um, huh? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty Everything much. Around his world. But let's yeah. also give tribute for a minute to Labyrinth, because that movie changed my life. Huh? Well, but even, you see, even that, there was a whole, you know, that whole thing. I mean, Washington Irving, who wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, you know, and, you know, and Rip Van Winkle, heavy septiles. And I don't want to go down. I mean, I, I have a list of, of <laughs> 50 or 100 charts in my septile hall of fame. What I want to say, though, is this, that although we astrologers are largely focused on the irritating um, adjust, quintiles require constant adjustment, too loud, too quiet. You know, to this, to that. We can't quite find the magic spot with a, with a, with a quincunx. And, um, and the thing, though, is that a quincunx is a twelfth harmonic. Okay. Five twelfths. The higher the harmonic, the tighter the orb, because the more subtle the energy, the harder we need to listen for it. Sure. The, the triceptile is at about 154 degrees. Okay. The biquintile, <clears throat> that's two-fifths, is at about 100, is exactly 144 degrees. Halfway between the two-fifths, fifth harmonic, and three-sevenths, seventh harmonic, halfway between those two points is 149 plus, very close to the quincunx. The quincunx mathematically is the least stable point on the circle because it's close to the midpoint of a louder fifth harmonic and a louder seventh harmonic that we astrologers tend to not even look at. Mm. But that's why it requires adjustment because at 150 degrees, which is the zero degree Virgo point, it's a critical point and yet it's wanting to flip here or there because these other two things are louder. And, and when you begin right. to look at charts and look at the, how the quincunxes might be pulled into a triceptile or a biquintile, it opens up a whole other dimension. Now, why we're having this conversation is this. While we are all looking at the partile quincunx between this solar eclipse at zero cancer, and Saturn at zero of Aquarius, most of us, I would say almost all of us, um, have not noticed that the, that the solar eclipse is exactly tri-septile to Jupiter, mm. which is a few degrees away from Saturn, and that Neptune and Uranus are also tied into this septile configuration so that Jupiter, Neptune, Uranus, and the solar eclipse are very closely on four points of a complex seven-pointed star. This is extraordinary. It, it, it puts this moment, incidentally, like the first 
um, bombing of the World Trade Tower, that chart was one of the most heavily septile charts I've ever seen. Now, septiles are not, although it might sound, they might sound bad, what they are is reality crashing through from other dimensions, almost like leakage from higher planes. So you look at the charts of a lot of psychic mediums, and I've seen, I've, I've done many of these charts of well-known psychic mediums, and their, and their charts are just filled with septiles because they're in touch with the other world year. So this eclipse, aside from having the annoying irritation of the hypersensitivity of all of us who are recreating and revisioning, um, remembering history with this you know, um, Mercury in Cancer also, and are being irritated and annoyed, but enough that it's like the mosqu big mosquito in the tent is that Saturn and Aquarius saying, we know where we need to go. We can see what this looks like, but the structures aren't letting us go there. Right. But behind that, there's something that's crashing through that's very powerful, very mysterious. And again, it doesn't matter who you think is in charge of making everything happening now that's happening they've lost control this, this is this is beyond any one person's agenda although it might have been agendas of different groups or different people at some point in time so the septiles all of a sudden are all over us yeah but the systems the bottoms have to fall out like we were talking about earlier in order to make enough space for the right kind of new structure to kind of come in to hold the yeah. in between the worlds or otherworldly kind of um, news. Yeah, those bottoms are Saturn. Those bottoms, in a way, yeah. that's the foundation, the cornerstone. But on the other hand, it's also the fourth house. It's the moon, you know, yeah. because that's, you know, so Saturn and the moon both have this piece of the absolute foundation here, I think. Yeah. Oh my it's God. The connection between Cancer and Capricorn, you know. Yeah. Well, and then we do the lunar eclipse in Capricorn. And I think really get ready to say goodbye to some things, but that's going to take time. And we're not saying goodbye in July. It's not like, Ooh, happy birthday. It's over. There's none of, there will be none of that. Ooh, I like your cup. I've been distracted. Hmm. I'm the person that I went to bed at 6 a.m. this morning. I'm the person that goes to bed at four to five to 6 a.m. and gets up at about 11 or 12. Oh my God. Are you up talking to my husband? Because that's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Have him give me a call. Yeah, like just call and talk to Rick. This is incredible. This is like, it's so neat to see it broken down at a deeper level than that, than just the quincunx. But if you do have a quincunx in your chart, now you know you've got a hand exercise, <laughs> right? Yeah, and a, and a mosquito in the tent. Uh, I'll tell you why I became so interested. Often we astrologers become interested in things because we have them in our chart or someone we know or love. Of does. And in the spirit of full astrological disclosure, my chart is not heavily septiled at all. I have friends and people that I know who, uh, I mean, are, are in my septile hall of fame, but not me. However, I have a partile quincunx mm -hmm. between Saturn at 29, almost 29 degrees of Leo, almost zero degrees of Virgo, and Jupiter at 29 degrees of Capricorn, almost zero degrees of Aquarius. So this Jupiter, Saturn, quincunx in my chart, I, I, I have it nailed. I know how it works. I hate it and I love it. And I hate it. And I hate it and because 
I can have a, um, a midnight deadline on something and at 10 o'clock someone can call up and say, hey, I'm heading over to so-and-so's. You want to meet us there for a party or, or, or to hang out? Or, and um, I'll go, I got something due at midnight. Uh, but sure, I'll, but I'll, I'll figure out, you know, that's the Jupiter. Sure. And then I come home and, so, and I crash and I, do, and I do somehow four hours of work in a half an hour. Now, I'm not saying I'm proud of this. I'm just saying I, I see how it works in my life. I mean, I wrote a daily column of 1,200 words a day for almost 19 years. And I never missed a day. But I missed some sleep. <laughs> um, I, 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 in more times than not, um, I would start writing my column at 1 or 2 or 3 in the morning and be done with it by 6 a.m. because I had to. And that's the quink unks, that annoying, irritating factor between the Jupiter expansive, I can do everything, and the Saturn saying, you know, here's, you know, here's the uh, punishment. If you don't do this, you will meet the, you know, you will meet your fate. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have time for us to look at a couple charts? You have a minute? For you? I, <laughs> yay. I have a Jupiter quincunx with my Mercury, so I get, I'm pushing those limits. Sure. Right. Let's see what we got here. I pulled up some people. Look, I pulled up me. Look at that. I'm all right, Rick. I'm going to make it, is what course, I think in the end. Of course you're, you're <laughs> going to, of course you're going to make it. You're so cracking me up with this Jupiter. <laughs> wait, wait, hang on one second. So we got, I can't look at your chart. I have to quickly here do uh, mm. this. Because okay. Well, while you're pulling it up over there, I'm going to just show people. So this is what it looks like. This is the glyph. This is our symbol when we're looking at a quincunx. It kind of looks like a little picnic table for one because it's just you figuring it out. So if you have these in your chart or you're using astro.com or whatever software you're using, this is what you're looking for. You may also see them in your aspect grid. Okay. Adjustment. I feel like that's underrated. <laughs> Yeah. For this particular placement, I'm like sometimes it is just damn stuck until you get it together. So, so Stormy, did you know that you have a near exact one quarter of a degree orb between your Venus Chiron septile? I didn't, but I do today, and I feel very so good. About Venus it. and Chiron, of course, with a septile would be a natural, hard to quantify magical approach to how um, love, and it doesn't have to be romantic love, but it is that, that spontaneity of being here now because your Venus is in Aries, septile the healing Chiron of being the steady, you know, uh, holder of, of a position or a point. And so that, 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 that the healing aspect of love becomes a very important, you know, piece of your, of your, of your Chiron. That's interesting. And I was talking about this. This is so crazy you're saying it because I was talking with um, David Cochran when he was here as well. And he brought up something like that from a vibrational perspective. And oh, Okay. So vibrational astrology and what I call quantum astrology is in effect one and the same thing. Brilliant. Because, Brilliant. I mean, and, and, and as you may or may not know, I mean, I've known David for, geez, 40 years. I don't know. 
Um, and David is me as a Taurus. <laughs> I, I, no, no, listen, he, he was born um, a few weeks after me, and I have Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars conjunct in Aries, and he has those planets in Taurus. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I come up with these ideas and David turns them into software and reality. <laughs> yes. I know. It's absolutely crazy. It's, I, I thoroughly enjoyed him and just looking at all that Taurus energy. We just had such a great, a great conversation too. But it was that place that you're talking about where I talked about my concept of God. And the only way I was able to integrate that into my life was to date my higher power because there was more <laughs> magic than just believing in it. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that, that certainly is Venus Chiron, isn't it? Sure. Is. Well, and, and, then, and then, of course, the other, I mean, as I'm looking at your chart now, um, through, through my filter, sure. um, uh, it is that your, your partile quincunx is Mercury to, to Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if we were going to be looking at that as a, um, an irritation that you can't bring into focus and you can't make go away. It's that Jupiter and Scorpio that basically has one concern and that Jupiter and Scorpio wants to um, merge with the deeper meaning of everything. It wants to find the jugular vein of the cosmos and, and, and expand into it, even if it means losing your perspective, your point of view, your ego. However, Mercury in Gemini doesn't want to go there because it's having too much fun connecting the dots on the surface, yeah. you know? And so, and so I find the quincunx between Gemini and Scorpio particularly fascinating um, it, because it's kind of like ice skating on lava. <laughs> now, let me, let me say what I mean by that oh, is God. because normally when we ice skate, there's no resistance. We just glide and, 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 and everything is just like magically smooth. And that's the Gemini piece. But with the Scorpio quincunx, it's like if you stop, you immediately go in down deep. And so, so the Gemini um, quincunx to, to Scorpio is basically your, your intellect, your mind that is fast at connecting the dots. Jupiter not being impressed with that at all because it's a distraction. Jupiter wants to go wide and deep, and whereas Mercury and Gemini just wants to go wide. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so it is. It has been since the beginning of time the uh, perpetual requirement to dive deep. Yeah, can um, can is can I share my screen for a moment? Yep. Let me stop sharing. Just one second. There you go. I just made you a co-host so you can share yours. Good. And let me get the embarrassing things off my screen. Yes. That's awesome. Do you know what I found these things at the grocery store? They're peaches and they look like little butts and they are called um, Saturn peaches. I found that to be interesting. Oh, wait, you, wait, wait, where did that come from? Oh, I don't know. I just thought about embarrassing things on your screen. So it just made oh. me think of the Saturn peaches. So it has absolutely <laughs> no connection whatsoever. All right. right? Now, That's Gemini. Okay. Can you see my screen now? We can. Yes. All right. So what you're looking at is how I look at a client chart and the red line. First of all, I have um, solar fire set so that the, as the orbs approach zero degrees of orbs, the lines get very thick. So I can immediately see what aspects are the um, absolute closest without a grid. 
Sure. Um, so uh, obviously, when I look at your chart, the uh, the oppositions, Venus opposing Mars, I can see that really, really close, and the Mercury um, opposing um, uh, Uranus. Um, you know, again, so that Mercury not only quincunx and Jupiter wanting the depth, but that Mercury opposing. Um, Uranus basically um, attracting like lightning the the weirdest the most out of the box the the avant-garde the new the different and yet Mercury your Mercury not only is it at the top of your chart but it's also uh, incredibly powerful more powerful than it looks like because it's trines not only are to Mars and the moon, but its trine is very closely to that midpoint, the halfway point between the Mars and the moon. So rather than this being a three or four degree orb trine, that Mercury is actually a one degree trine to both Mars and the moon together, which basically increases the power and the facility with which you speak. Um, the other thing is we can see the thickness of that green line, the quink unks, between Jupiter and, and Mercury. But here we also can see some, the orange lines are, are the sesqui, semi and sesqui square. And so we can also see that your Chiron and your Sun are both sesqui square to the Moon. And again, if you took the midpoint of the Chiron and Sun, you probably would come down to exactly that Moon point. Mm -hmm. And the Sun um, um, yeah, but the sun here, it's really interesting because your sun, it's, the line is buried, but your sun is also biquintile. Your sun is biquintile the moon, and that's within one degree of orb. Um, and in fact, what I want to do here is just very quickly, this will blow your mind a little bit. All right. So this is your chart. Does this look familiar? Wow. All right, well, I've taken out all the normal aspects. Yeah. And what we're looking at is the purple lines are the septiles. Uh, you are a septilian, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But the um, mustard or yellow-colored lines are the quintiles. Now, quintiles are like the rose. They're Venusian. They're beautiful. They're expressive. They're heartfelt. They're charismatic. Um, they're creative but not creative like building a house to a blueprint. They're like building a house and making it up as you go along. Um, it's a different type of creation. And you, and you see it a lot in, in creative chart. Mozart is a strong quintile chart. Mm. Uh, spiritual leaders, uh, um, Sri Aurobindo, Krishnamurti, Ram Das, strong quintile charts. You see it in the charts of humorists like um, John Cleese and Carl, uh, uh, Groucho Marx, I was gonna say Karl Marx. Groucho Marx and Charlie Chaplin. And, but so you have Saturn um, and the moon are both biquintiling um, Mercury and the sun. Mm -hmm. and, and your Saturn is quintiling Neptune um, and your Neptune is back up here quintiling back up to your Chiron. Um, and, and these are all really close aspects. I mean, and, and so what you have with the Sun Chiron and the, the Moon Saturn and, um, and Lilith, and um, even in the picture with, with Neptune, what you have is you have planets on three points of a five-pointed star. Now, we all, many of us know that if you have two planets sextile, 
and they're each making quincunxes with a third planet that's called a finger of God or a yod. Um, that's a 12th harmonic pattern because it's five twelfths the quincunx. You have what I, called, what I call a golden yod because the five-pointed star is based upon the golden mean or the divine proportion. This is the number behind the Fibonacci number series, the number behind the Da Vinci code. It's the number behind the mathematic perfection of the European cathedrals that are all built by the Masons who knew the five to eight to 13 ratio and built everything according to that. So you have a golden yod with the sun and Chiron on the apex of that yod with the, um, with the moon, Saturn and Neptune at the base. And so this again points to the healer, points to the Taurus energy, um, you know, being even more important. Separate from that, you also have a septile yod. Because if you take the same yod with the, with the sextile at the base, and instead of widening it to make it three points on a five-pointed star, if you narrow that base to 51 degrees, you now get three points on a seven-pointed star. And if you look at the chart, the, there's a missing point up here somewhere in late Cancer, a missing point here somewhere in, um, in maybe early Virgo or somewhere in here. And then there's two missing points down here in late Sag, early Capricorn, or one here maybe in mid um, Aquarius. So you have three points on a seven-pointed star. And again, the Venus Chiron is the closest at 18 minutes, 18 minutes of orb, that's a quarter of a degree. But the Venus Pluto is, <clears throat> the Venus Pluto triceptile is one degree. And the Chiron Pluto is less than one and a half degrees. So this is basically now pointing to Pluto. And, um, and this, is a this is a really powerful configuration because whether or not you choose to deny it in public, we know you got shit going on in other worlds. <laughs> you know, oh, I just yeah, I do. You know, um, and and whether you are a, 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 um, a self-aware psychic, psychic medium, or whether you just have a very intense relationship with disincarnate beings, spirit guides, ancestors—I mean, however you frame it—that's the septile. But it comes through not only from Pluto at the apex of your septile yod but through the healing power, the, again, Chiron was a bit disenfranchised, you know, also, because Chiron, you know, Chiron was the maverick who, although it went with the herd, also went away from the herd. Chiron cut within the three-dimensional world inside the orbit of Saturn, but then Chiron goes out to Uranus to be with the weirdos, you know? And so Chiron is not just the wounded healer. Chiron is also the teacher of all those things that we don't know. Mm. Anyhow, I'm taking your chart away, but very, very interesting. And of course, if you were my client, uh, of course, you know, you're, you're not. Um, but if you were my client, my attention certainly would be focused on um, what went on in your life when the planets were moving through Aquarius. I say the planets, I mean Saturn, the last time it moved through Aquarius, you know, in the late 80s but the um, Saturn, um, Uranus, and Neptune 
all moved through mid-Aquarius squaring your sun. And the reason why that would be important now, um, even though you were quite a bit younger, obviously, um, even though that was that even though that's why that's important now, is that we have Saturn coming up to squaring that point now again, while Uranus will be conjoining it. You know, because as Uranus moves forward, Uranus will reach the conjunction to your sun, which unlike the Saturn conjunction or square, you know, to the sun happens every seven, eight, seven, eight years. The Uranus conjunction square or opposition to the sun only happens once every 21 years. And so the fact of the matter is that, that you were born with Uranus after the opposition to your sun, so that you experienced Uranus squaring your sun, you know, sometime, you know, in, you know, in the um, early mid nineties, you know, in that period of time. And, and in fact, we could really quickly, as long as we're here, we might as well might do as this. Well and, and so here's your chart again, all the aspects have been taken out. And this is a chart for now with just the outer planet showing. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to back this up a year at a time, and we're going to watch Uranus, which is approaching your sun. Let's move it forward first, because by 2021, Uranus is already toying with your sun. You know, so that's while Uranus is squaring Saturn. So now we're going to run this backwards a few years, and we're watching. Oh, 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 runaway planets, runaway planets. Okay, so here we have. Here we have. Let's do this now by. Instead of one year, let's do this by three months. And okay, so here we have Saturn in 1991 moving into um, Aquarius. Back retrograde, direct again. And by 1992, so you know, you're nine years old, you're ready to turn 10, and Saturn is squaring your son. You know, some sort of parental family shift change, something you know, that, that's important, but, it, but it's only the opening volley because what will happen over the next years is Uranus, whoop, whoop, there we go, Uranus by, oh, okay, my timing was off before, I'm glad we did this, Uranus moves into Aquarius, yeah, well, it's still 90s, I said late, mid-late 90s, but it was actually late, late 90s, by 1998, 1999, Uranus is now squaring your sun. Kapow, you know, get out the detonator. I can't hear you. Did I put you on mute? Oh, no, I put me on mute. Sorry. I said, okay. yeah, there it is. Kapow. Okay. So now we're going to continue following that around. And by 2001, uh, Uranus is still playing with that you know, with, with that um, square to your sun, but now Saturn comes in. This is really interesting because in 1998, 99, 2000, you had Uranus squaring your sun while Saturn was conjuncting your sun, and now you're coming into 2020, 21, 22, and Uranus will be conjuncting your sun while Saturn's squaring it. This is a replay of that energy, but on very different terms. So here we have Saturn now conjoining the sun, Grant Louis says that when Saturn joins up with the sun by transit, it's the time when the chickens of ambition come home to roost. I love that saying. It's <laughs> a perfect time. You get what you deserve. And it's usually a combination of it's awesome and it sucks. I mean, usually both things happen. You know, you graduate from college and you, you know, and someone leaves you or whatever. I mean, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. So then as we move that around, 
We're now going to watch Uranus, which is still squaring your sun through 99 into 2000. And now Uranus and Saturn both move on. Jupiter swings through that also. So we probably had a little bit of good news at the outset of all of this as a finality somehow. Um, but then we have Neptune now approaching that square. And Neptune transits, as we astrologers know, are a little bit more difficult sometimes to quantify. But that Neptune reaches the square to your sun in 2004. The reason why we're doing this is part of my whole thing, and this is another aspect of David's vibrational astrology, is if you look at all transits as vibrations, they're not just single events, because what's happening now is the planets are coming into stressing your sun, Uranus by conjunction, Saturn by, by square, but that sun has responded to vibrations in the past again and again and again, as Saturn has conjuncted and squared and opposed and mm -hmm. Uranus squared and, and now Neptune squaring. And all of these are one event seen through different planetary filters at different times in your life. So this period of 2004, 2005, when Neptune is coming through, um, you know, the square to the sun, then we hit Saturn at the other side squaring the sun in 2005, 2000, actually 2000, um, six, the summer, fall of 2006. Um, and, and of course, if we continue this around, um, we then get to Saturn opposing your sun, which is going to be right around 2013, 2014. Again, same issues, but different situations. Mm -hmm. And, and now we bring that up to date now and we get the Saturn coming into squaring your sun while Uranus is conjuncting it. So what we've just done is we've taken a totally different way of looking at transits because we're tying them to your hum, to the hum of the music of Stormy, your life, rather than looking at billiard balls like Newton did, bumping into billiard balls, planets bumping into planets, because it's the rhythm that we dance to rather than just the one note that's being played. Yeah, which is so beautiful to see the whole story kind of play out and be able to walk it forward and backwards and yes. see what the new view is going to end up being. And so I've just unshared my screen, so that was fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, there have been, uh, I don't think you unshared it. I think you made it smaller. Oh. Yeah, because I can see your screen and us and the chart. Well, that's weird. We've got a lot going on here. All right. How about now? There we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. So brilliant, right? Like, I'm just getting prepared for some things, apparently. Well, yeah. And, you know, and again, the danger when we do this is to look at what we saw, what we happened in the past, and to pick the worst things and focus on them. And that's exactly the opposite of the work that we need to do, because yeah. the the whole point of repetitive cycles in our life is that we get opportunities to do it differently. And I think of Edna St. Vincent Millay, the American poet who wrote, life is not one thing after another. It's the same damn thing over and over. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because as we're going back and we're looking through everything, I was thinking, God, those were some of the best years of my life. I had a blast. I was thinking through 
all of the real good, not necessarily spiritual work, but yeah. beings from between worlds that I was highly interactive with. I'm like, those were some damn good times, which is, it feels brilliant to be watching the energy come up from a different perspective. But at all of those little stops too, one of the biggest things that changed is my level of education in terms of being able to apply it. Got it. Yeah. So you're a doctor. What are you a doctor of? I am a doctor of business. So really I focused on organizational design and development, which just is a long way to say I work in emotional intelligence so we can figure out how to bring astrology into companies yeah. and different uh, cultures. Got it. Yeah. Pretty great, right? Thank God I finished that forever ago, so now I can apply it. <laughs> well, and again, I think this somewhat comes back to, you know, the um, the Venus, uh, the Venus uh, to Chiron that has something to do with the the magic that you touch in bringing the healing energy through, you know, through through how you approach it, how you know your sense of of beauty, of love, that Venus and Aries is really, I think, an important piece. Oh, thank you. Wow, we've got people who are like, I need to have a reading with Rick. I'm like, geez, right? right. I know. So, 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 he, so here's the deal. Um, aside from, from following me on Instagram, which I encourage everyone to do these days, because that's where my current daily you know, work is, is, is presented, um, at Rick Levine Astrology. Is it Rick Levine Astrologer? Rick Levine Astrologer. Aside from that, um, I do readings, but I'm so um, spread thin with my video production, with my teaching schedule, um, and 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 so on. That if you um, want a reading, send me an email uh, to my regular email address. Don't do it on Instagram. Um, to R Levine, R L E V I N E at Star IQ. Arlevine at stariq.com and um and and you will have a place in line by virtue of your email you're not obligated to follow through um when you um finally realize that maybe there's something better you want to do with your money um, <laughs> no but the point is here is that sending the email will, will give you a place in line i cannot even tell you when um, I will get to it, and all I can say is that if it's an emergency, uh, dial nine one one, not me. <laughs> uh, I, I have I have a fairly long waiting list right now, and I'm not I'm I'm not making as much progress on it as I would like to. But but if you're interested, send me an email. When I get within a month or two of being able to schedule you, you'll get an email from me that kind of gives you the deal and tells you how I work and what it does. If you're interested in pursuing it at that time, fine. And if not, fine. Brilliant. Well, and I'll make sure that all of Rick's contact information and all of the Instagram, everything will be in the description box down below. So you can just grab it down there. And also you can check out Rick's work. I get your planetary pulse and I just love it. I'm like, that's so funny. I was writing mine last night and then I saw yours and you're like crabby. I was like, that's so funny. That's how I felt even writing it last night. I was like, oh. Well, most people forget that the, Monday. that it, for, for me, nature has been my best teacher. I mean, I've read my books, I've done my studying, but I've learned more about, you know, cancer the crab by sitting at the seashore and watching crabs. Right. I've learned more about Leos by, by watching National Geographic special on, on lions. Mm 
you know these are the, the the nature is important you know and crabs have a hard outer shell because they live in singularly the most dynamic changeful nutrient rich place on the planet the intertidal zone where every day the waves come up and the waves go out and the waves come up and the waves go out that's four changes a day ebb flow ebb flow inhale exhale inhale exhale and that's and and so the crab is always in the state of change and always in the state of needing to pay attention we're back to that hypersensitivity you know of the cancerian energy because if the crab isn't paying attention to when the tides are going to change it'll be left high and dry and die or it'll be washed out into the deep ocean where there's not the same food stuff and so the crab needs to not only have a hard outer shell it has no backbone it's an mm. invertebrate but the backbone of a crab is external it's an exo backbone or an exoskeleton which is why families and homes and homelands are so important to crabs because unlike a capricorn who has a maximo backbone because <laughs> the structure is you know is internalized for a crab they need to create this hard outer shell that makes them safe inside of it and in fact the real crab is so fearful of being washed away by the tides or being bumped around by the tides it finds a larger shell of a crab that's no longer inhabiting that shell alive and it crawls into that and then it carries that whole shell off into a cave or wedges it under a rock and this is the aspect of cancer and fear you know that the fear of cancer is basically the fear of bumping into something that's bigger than it is as the tides change and wash it away mm -hmm. so crabs need that hard outer shell um and um yeah it, it's crabby that and by the way that photo and almost all of the photos on my daily planet pulse almost all those photos are my photos if i oh. didn't if i if i if i wasn't an astrologer um, I probably would be making a living doing photography. I do it rather seriously. Um, but, um, but every now and then I'll take, I'll grab a stock photo um, on my, um, uh, I, I use quotes most days um, on my um, daily planet pulse. Um, and the quotes that I use of famous people, I put up as a separate graphic. And obviously I have not taken those pictures. I just grabbed those off of the news or off internet. Um, and for the past 21 days, I've actually been using um, only photos of black people because or not only do black lives matter, but black voices matter, even if they're from the past. And so I made a big deal out of it. I guess I am now, I didn't really mean to, but I just noting that for those people who are coming into my planet pulse, they're getting my photos, but not the photos of, of, of famous people. Or sure. famous people. Sure. Anyhow. It's all beautiful though. You were making me laugh. I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I'll tell you this. I remember I had a significant cancer relationship in my life and, uh, I will never forget meeting this person and we're in a crowded room and I spotted him and realized what was about to happen. And he walked from sides of the room 
until he kind of bounced off of something and ended up where I was. And I was like, that just always makes me laugh when I deal with crabs. I'm like, look, you are going to come very indirectly into what you were doing. It just was like watching a pinball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, I mean, aside from the exoskeleton for protection, the other main feature of the crab are the pinchers. And these large pinchers that on most species of crabs are in front make it impossible for the crab to run forward fast yeah. because the pinchers get in the way. Yeah. And so, so what happens is that when a crab really needs to move and when you watch crabs, when they run, they either run sideways or backwards. If they need to go that way, they turn around and go backwards because the crabs, the, the pinchers get in the way when they run forward. And of course, the other thing about the pinchers is that crabs are, of all the signs in the zodiac, they are the most tenacious. When they hold on to something, they ain't a gonna let go. Oh. In fact, it's the classical, it's been said that when a crab um, finds food in a crevice and reaches into that crevice and grabs onto the food, and if the claw is now too big to come out, it'll actually pull its arm out of its socket rather than let go of the food <laughs> it has. And I think of the kid with the cookie jar, you know, reaching his hand and grabbing the cookies and, and not being able to get the hand out. Well, that's, that's a crab. And I, I sometimes call that cancerian energy. Um, I call that in relationship, um, someone who has the Klingons. Yes. <laughs> because they cling on. <laughs> that is brilliant. So a little something for all you cancers out there, or if you've experienced some good cancerian relationships, there's a little something to think about. Well, yeah. we, made it, we made it through this without any sound aberration last time. For those of you who tried to listen to it, my apologies. Uh, um, I seem to have had an internet um, uh, connection or uh, you know, problem on this end, but we seem to have made it through flawlessly. Yes, it was beautiful this time, and I'm so glad you came back, and I hope you'll come back again. We have not scared you off over here, so. Stormy, read my lips anytime. Brilliant. I'll see you tomorrow then. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, what time? Just yes. Just so, so much to get done, but thank you so much for coming, Rick. And thank you guys for your time and your attention. Hopefully we gave you something that was absolutely worth it. And if you're watching on the replay, we look forward to seeing your comments in the comment section down below. If you're listening on the podcast, give this a star up. That would greatly help. And if there's something else you'd like to see us talk about, please let us know in the comment section down below as well. All right, you guys, like this video, comment, share, subscribe, go visit Rick. Do not miss out on the Planetary Pulse because it's really nice daily guidance and something to think about so you don't want to miss out on that at all. Thank all you. right, you guys, we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.